Sometimes it can be rather easy to overlook some of the people and places that we hear in Scripture, like in the genealogy of Jesus at Christmas or some of the uh, really weird locations and cities that we might hear. You might just chalk it up as, oh, that's, that's that one place that I can't even begin to try to pronounce. We don't think much of them sometimes. And yet in our gospel today, we get places that are rather significant in the ancient world and rather significant for Jesus' journey and its mission. The lands of Zebulon and Naphtali, they were of great importance in the ancient world. They were two cities or lands in the northern part of Israel, and they had been ravaged by the Syrians, the many times that Israel had been invaded by some of their neighbors. Zebulon and Naphtali were really the first places where they would often attack, and over time, they had really lost a lot of their former glory. They had never really recovered over the course of many different attacks by many of Israel's adversaries. And so it makes sense that this is the very first place that Jesus goes in his public ministry. It's the very first place that he begins to reveal who he is and to preach the good news. Those places ravaged by past conquerors of Israel, the places where historically you could say there was darkness. You know, the people who walked in darkness will soon see a great light, namely our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus goes to those places of historical darkness, you could say, to give the people there a great light. That is why Jesus goes to Zebulon and Naphtali. So if you were to ask me, where would Jesus, if he was going to come back today, where would Jesus go? You know, if he went to Zebulon and Naphtali first, where would he go today? What would he do? What would he preach about? What would be his focus? And I would have a pretty good answer for you, a pretty easy one that would come to mind. Jesus would focus on vocations. He would focus on vocations. Again, not unlike the gospel that we hear today, Christ would be concerned about the state of our individual vocations. That would be his focus if he were to come back and preach to us today. As we all know, each and every one of us has a call to holiness. It's called the universal call to holiness. We, I consider that sort of our capital V vocation. It is common, it is universal, it is applicable to every single one of us here. That is the calling of every single Christian, and in fact, every single person on this world to be holy, to be a saint. That is the common vocation that each and every one of us has. But beneath that, you could say we have our lowercase v vocations, marriage, priesthood, religious life and dedicated single life. This is probably what we commonly think of when we hear the word vocations. Again, the lowercase v variety. They're at the service of that universal call to holiness. They are a means, if you will, to the end that is holiness and sanctity. They are the vehicle by which we become holy and the mechanism that God establishes for each and every one of us to achieve that capital V vocation of holiness. And so fidelity to our lowercase v vocations is absolutely crucial if we are to achieve that capital V vocation 
of sanctity and holiness. Wherever we might be, fidelity to our individual vocations is paramount. Look at the apostles that were called in our gospel today. At the time, those apostles, their vocation was to be fishermen. They were concentrated in that particular day, on that particular moment, in being the best fishermen that they could be. That was their way of life. That was their vocation that God was calling to them in that moment. That is until Christ entered into the picture. In this gospel, we see Jesus giving Peter, Andrew, James, and John a new vocation. A new calling to not just be a fisherman, but to be a fisher of men. He's calling them to be his apostles and eventually calling them to be his priests. Christ was giving them in this moment a new lowercase v vocation, a new way for them to be holy. And thankfully these men left everything immediately and followed him and followed Jesus. Their lives from that point onward would be different. They would be concentrated on being the best apostles that they could be, to be truly fishers of men. So what does this look like for you and me, brothers and sisters? Well, brothers and sisters, the best way to be holy for each and every one of us is to live our vocation with all that we have, to live out our calling with gusto, with zeal, with every fiber of our being. The best way to be holy is to be the best father that you can be, the best mother that you can be, to be the best husband that you can be, the best wife, daughter, son, you name it, sibling, priest, religious sister, whatever that might be. The best way for you to be holy is to live out that vocation with everything that you have. For married couples, this means being faithful to each other, open to life, and having family life centered around the church. For us priests, it means being men of prayer, of penance and service and zeal. For women religious, it means having that spousal love to Christ and a life of prayer and service to others. And a dedicated single life of service to the wider church. That is what it means to live out each of our vocations. And we know, unfortunately, that the evil one attacks vocations so much. He has already attacked them so much in our world, and he will continue to do so because our individual vocations are the best way for us to be holy, and therefore, if he doesn't want us to become holy, he attacks us there. And I dare say a lot of the crises in our world today are brought on because of a lack of holy vocations of, of all sorts. That is why there is so much darkness. And so that's why I think Christ would start there if he were to come back again today. He would start with us wanting to live our vocations with holiness and with everything we have. And again, we see this so often in our world, a lack of holy marriages, a lack of holy priests, you name it. We see the consequences of this everywhere that we look. And yet Christ calls us to be lights in the midst of a world of darkness. And a well-lived vocation is that light. One great marriage can affect an entire family tree. One great priest can help a parish. One great sister can inspire an entire class of students to live their faith. 
What a good example of how one great vocation can change the world. Look to a married couple by the name of Louis and Zelie Martin. They were a married couple in France in the 1800s. They were very, very faithful to the church and very faithful to their vocation. And they had five daughters. And the fidelity of their parents inspired all five of their daughters to become nuns, to become religious sisters. One of those daughters, you might know her name, her name's Therese of Lisieux. And she, in turn, inspired so many more people to live lives of holiness and sanctity. Again, it all started with her parents and the fidelity they had to their vocation and inspired their daughters and, in turn, inspired so many more people, inspired countless souls. Fidelity to our vocations can change the world. It can be that light in the darkness that Christ came to be. So this day, may we rededicate ourselves to our vocations and recommit to living out the call to holiness within our daily lives. May we live our vocations with fidelity like those first apostles and with Christ be a light to our world that lives in darkness.